This morning from Acts chapter 11, I have two aims. The first is to help you understand the special grace that happened in Antioch and for you to see this church as a model for us to think about how we could emulate this really unique church. And then the second thing is to identify some markers for us as a church over the next 12 to 18 months as we think about what it is that we're going to do collectively as a church family. Next Sunday night, we have our congregational meeting, and we are going to be asking those of you who are members to approve our annual budget. So we're on an April through March uh, fiscal year. And as a staff, we spent last August, the entire month, just thinking about where do we think the Lord is leading us? We then presented that to the elders, and uh, they affirmed that direction, added some additional thoughts to that. And I just want to help you understand kind of where we're headed as a church over the next 12 to 18 months. So I want to take Acts chapter 11, the story of Antioch, and also some planning and some praying that we've been doing so that you can kind of know where we're headed. And the reason why that is important is because when you're a part of a large church, it can be kind of difficult to figure out how to navigate this labyrinth of a ministry that we're involved in. In fact, most of us probably didn't grow up in a church this size. In fact, let's just do a quick survey to see if that's still true. How many of you, if you grew up in church, how many of you grew up in a church of a thousand people or more? Why don't you raise your hand? Okay. If you grew up in a church of a thousand people or less, raise your hand. So that should tell you something. Okay, so here's the reality, and that is that most of us don't know how to do life in a church this size. And there are things that I love about having a large church. There are things that are a really big challenge with a large church. And what we want to do is kind of lay before you what is the sort of path for us as a church ministry? Where are we um, headed, and what are the things that we believe God's called us uh, to do? Part of the reason why this is important is that we use language around here. We're a church that loves the beauty of both. And both is awesome and both is challenging. Both is awesome in this way. We have both small groups and adult big groups or Sunday school classes. We have both global outreach and we do a lot in global, trying to reach unreached peoples, but we also do urban renewal. So we're interested in injustice in the city and how to build bridges of grace that can bear the weight of truth. We do next generations ministry. We have um, women's ministry. We have a thriving young adults ministry. I'm having the whole young adults class over my house tonight, about 80 people or so last time, standing room only. And tonight we're going to talk about the exciting subject of church governance. I'm going to give a little talk on church governance. It's going to be awesome. And uh, so uh, I just reduced my numbers to 60, not 80, okay? So... (laughs) Um, it, but the, the, so on Sunday mornings, just think of what you've experienced today. We have um, congregational worship, contemporary worship, and yet we have a pastoral prayer. Mitch just did that for us. We have a formal reading of scripture. I preach expositionally, normally through a particular book. So all of those things, that, that's kind of a weird combination. We think there's something really beautiful and healthy about that, something really good. Here's the downside. The downside is sometimes you can wonder, man, what's important? Or where are we headed? And, and how, do we, how do we think through how to, to be able to, to make sense of the, of the ministry? One of the things that's beautiful is we've allowed our church plants to kind of figure out how do they contextualize ministry in their own setting. So Fishers is doing ministry different than it's happening in Greenwood. Um, and these churches are on a path to self-governance instead of simply being multi-sites that stay within the, the, the family or stay within the, the confines of um, College Park North Indy. And that's beautiful, but it also creates some tensions. 
And so we want to figure out how do we tolerate those tensions, believing that God wants to do things in us, same time not being so overly programmatic that we sort of squelch the spirit. And so what I want to do today is, is walk you through this, this text in Acts chapter 11 with a view for us to think through, okay, so what's going on in this text, and how can we think through what our particular Antioch moment is? And that's what I want us to be thinking about. What we see in this text and what happens in Acts chapter 11, how does that relate to where God has us as a church? What I want to do is help you understand this text and also for you to understand some key questions. These questions being, how am I growing as a disciple? Who am I discipling? How am I spreading the gospel in my neighborhood? How can we love our city with the good news? How do we reach unreached people around the world? So I want you to think about those questions as we walk through this text and I want you to realize that Jesus' mission that he gave to the disciples was that they were to go and multiply. And today we're talking about think multiplication. Jesus is on the mountain, he's gonna leave them, and he tells the disciples, Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. He did not tell them, hunker down in Jerusalem and stay there. The goal of the church, your goal as a follower of Jesus, if you are one, is to multiply yourself out into the world, to multiply yourself in terms of the people that you're discipling. In the same way, you would think that it would be weird, as it relates to my family, if this was my goal. If you said, Mark, what are the goals for your family? If I said, well, actually, I've had children, so they can take care of me and provide for me in the future, and we're not planning on any of them leaving. You'd be like, whoa, we got to talk, right? Because the goal is to deploy. And as, as your kids get older in teenage world, you need to remind them often, we are training you to get out of here, to get out of here, to get out of here. The goal is for your mom and me to be by ourselves and not have kids. That's the goal, right? We're, we're deploying you out. And teenagers are like, I can't wait to get out. I can't wait to get out, right? If you're like, no, I want to stay with mom and dad all my life. Something's wrong, right? So the, the, the goal of a family is multiplication. So too, the goal of the church is multiplication. So our vision for next year involves some key words or phrases. When we think about multiply, here's what we mean. We want to figure out how do we reach our world how do we deepen our discipleship? How do we maximize our resources and develop our leaders? So we've worked hard to develop a strategic plan, if you will, of where we believe the Lord is leading us. And these four words or phrases serve as the, the key elements of that particular strategy. And there's various things underneath them. We'll talk about some of those at our congregational meeting. I'd love to unpack those more fully for you, and I will a little bit here today. But I just want you to understand those four key phrases as they relate to Acts chapter 11. Three thoughts from Acts chapter 11. Number one is there's an incredible opportunity that exists. Look at Acts 11 and verse 19. It says this, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the, word to, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So what happens is there's, the church is gathered in Jerusalem, and the whole scene in the book of Acts shifts from Jerusalem to Antioch. If you were to look at a map in the back of your Bible, you'd see all roads in Paul's missionary's journey lead either from or to Antioch. Jerusalem is still important, but not in the same way that the city of Antioch is, because Antioch becomes this beautiful sending church. In fact, the verse goes on to say 
But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch, Antioch, by the way, was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. It says, these men spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. The Hellenists, in this context, are Greek people who are not Jews. So it's important for you to know that at this moment, the, the message of the gospel is shifting from primarily a Jewish audience to now a Gentile audience as well. So this comes right after Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10, where he goes and preaches to Cornelius. He brings a report back to the church in chapter 11. And verse 18 of chapter 11 says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So there's a shift that's happening as there are these, these, these new opportunities that are emerging. What's interesting, though, is the gospel spread in verse 19 because of hardship. The persecution caused them to flee, and as a result, they start going up the coast to Phoenicia and to the island of Cyprus, and they end up in Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey. So sometimes the Lord moves the gospel by virtue of open doors of opportunity. Sometimes he moves the gospel by virtue of suffering, difficulty, or hardship. That could be really encouraging if you're in one of those seasons. And you're looking at your life and you're like, what is the point of this? I'm telling you, at least in my life, there's lots of things that are clear now, 10, 15 years later, that at the time I wondered, how in the world is God ever going to use this? This church was planted in 1985. At the time, the city of Carmel was only 20,000 people. It's a small little suburb, not much had been built. When this church was planted, it first met in 1986 in the Holiday Inn on Michigan Road, the one that's being torn down right now. This church started in Casino Room B. It was a gamble. <laughs> ah, I just couldn't resist, Dale. Yeah. And God blessed the ministry here. I, I knew about it in my um, other church in Western Michigan, heard about the name, reputation of College Park. The mid-2000, this church ran into some problems, some leadership challenges, a really hard season. Some of you were around for that long period. When I came here in 2008, I found myself with a great group of people who had been broken, who were ready to ask the question, what does God want to do with us? I remember telling people that pastoring College Park is like being a person who's caring for an orchard or a, an apple tree that's got really good fruit, and if you just hit the trunk, the fruit falls off. And part of the reason there was all kinds of fruit was because of the suffering and the hardship that this church had walked through. A few weeks ago, I had a meeting with um, someone with a mission agency that we work with here a place that we had donated a significant amount of money um, in the area of West Africa, in Togo. We built a hospital there. Uh, we were the first church to give a substantial gift to make that hospital happen. Togo, in West Africa, where this hospital is, is on the, the line as Islam is, is making its way south, and this hospital serves as a, uh, not only a medical facility, but people, when they need medical care, when you care for them, are really open to the gospel. And so what's really interesting is this new hospital that's been 
built is actually strategic for church planting and for, for gospel work. When you go there, people wait for six to seven days in order to get care. There's, there's so much need. What you don't know is the story behind that hospital. So here's a, a picture just to give you a sense. So 2009, that's me and Nate um, and a couple of brothers, Dr. Scott Pittman there on his knee, um, we prayed that God would build a hospital in Mongo, Togo. So Mongo is north uh, from um, the, the capital, and uh, it's in that kind of desert area. And this person from the mission agency brought me this photo, and he said, I want you to see the exact spot in 2015. And because of our giving as a church, this hospital compound is now on the edge of Islam and Christianity being able to preach the gospel. But that's not the side of the story that I want you to know. I want you to know that when I went to college, I thought I was gonna go into medical missions. And then I found chemistry. <laughs> and I got a word from the Lord. Uh, this is not what I wanna do with my life. I, I knew that I wanted to be a pastor, I knew I wanted to preach, and I thought medical missions could be a great avenue. So I, and, I, and I went the medical route because I knew missionaries from a hospital that was just south of Mongo. And I dreamed of being a physician in that hospital. And the Lord redirected my steps, and after college, there's a country right next to Togo called Ghana. It's the same people group. Ghana is English-speaking. And somebody came to the chapel and talked about planting churches in Ghana. And so after college, my wife and I were going to go to Ghana for two years. So we got married, went on our honeymoon for a week, and then drove up. And the second and third week of our married life, we were in a candidate class with a mission agency. We started raising support, and we got about like 85% of our support to go to Ghana, and the political environment, a number of things changed, and the Lord closed that door. And I remember sitting in a hotel in New York City, tears streaming down my face, going, God, what in the world are you doing? I don't understand. And then you fast forward that story, and I remember handing Nate a brochure about this hospital in Togo, and said, Nate, I don't know if this fits us, but I really like what's going on there. Maybe this could be a ministry that we could get involved in. Fast forward, 2015, we've been the lead church in helping to create a hospital in a region of the world that's always been central to my heart. The point of that story is that you never know the way in which hardship or difficulty could be the platform for how God's going to use you. There's a lot of people involved in our counseling ministry who are counselors, most of them help other people because they got helped. In the midst of the brokenness of their marriage, they saw God put it back together. In the midst of their addiction or their idolatry, they found freedom, and once they've tasted it, they want everyone to be able to experience it. So when we think about where we are as a church and what our history is, and when you think about where your history is, what I want you asking yourself is this question, why does God have you here? Why has God placed you in this city? Why has he put you in the place of employment that you're in, in the neighborhood that you're in? We're asking ourselves that question as a church. Why has God placed us on the north side of Indianapolis in 2019? What is it that he wants to do in our lives and in our church? As we think about what it means to reach the world, we're asking ourselves, look, there are issues and challenges within our society. Is there anything that we could do about them? One of the things we're thinking about, is there anything that we can do to help with the opioid crisis? I mean, the city and the state are just 
beside themselves as to what they can do. Is there any way for us to help? When I think of, of, of teenagers and just kind of what's happening in the midst of our culture and the challenges running through the souls and all of the bad paths that can run down, one of the reasons that we're committed to a robust and healthy youth ministry, and to, we're up 45% in high school ministry right now, and the reason that's important is not because of a number, but because if you can get the heart and mind of a teenager, you can prevent the issues that you have to undo in adulthood. We think about reaching the world, we're realizing that one of our greatest platforms for ministry is every single Sunday. And we need your help with that. To be able to, to come to church and look around and see people on the margins. To see people who have a look on their face that they're hurting. Or people who are pretending that you know they're pretending. And to realize that you have an opportunity every Sunday to, to care for, for people. To be able to get a vision for what it means to use even Sunday mornings as an opportunity for ministry. So if your single goal is to get here on time-ish, find your seat that somebody else hasn't taken. If you have kids, to get them checked into children's ministry and then get out so you can get to lunch. If that's your goal, you're missing what the church is meant to be. And we're asking ourselves, what does it mean to reach our world? What do we do with a Christmas concert that had 7,000 people at it? Or Brookside road trips and global vision trips that help us to see the world a little differently, not just as a great experience, but to then go back in our neighborhoods and say, look, if this is the way it works in Brookside, surely it can work in my neighborhood. If I have a heart and a passion to reach unreached people groups in India, I mean, surely I can try and reach my neighbors who don't know Jesus. One of the reasons that we're committed to planting a church out of our church every two years is because there are people in our city who do not know the name of Jesus. Do you know how many churches College Park has planted since 1985? Seven. Seven churches. New Palestine Bible Church, Sovereign Christ Fellowship in Columbus, Nehemiah Bible Church in Brookside, and then we started the Next Door Mission where we started accelerating. We planted four churches since 2015, College Park Fishers, College Park Castleton, College Park Greenwood, and now One Fellowship Church. That's over 1,000 people represented in those churches who have been either deployed out of here or who are now attending those churches. And one of the joys of my life is reflected in this picture. This is in my basement. These are the lead pastors and their wives who monthly we meet together on a Sunday night to pray, to talk about questions related to ministry, and to care for one another. And this is one of the great joys of my life. This is what I love to do. These guys and their wives are like my kids. And they're old enough. I'm old enough to be their dad at this point. My wife was like, you know, no one has a child older than five years old in this group. And I'm like, I know, honey, it's really hard, you know. <laughs> and yet to be able to see the multiplication impact, to see how they're living out what it means to be followers of Jesus is absolutely incredible. So I want you to know that the opportunity that existed for the church at Antioch was born out of suffering, but it was also born out of opportunity. There were men, it says, of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were preaching the gospel to the Hellenists. And so one of the things we have to always be asking ourselves is if we're going to reach our world, who are the people that do not yet know the name of Jesus? And I want to remind you that the city of Indianapolis is ripe for gospel work. There's a lot of good churches in our city, but there are also thousands of people who do not know the name of Jesus. Just to give you a, a visual image, again, I've shown this before, this is a traffic cam on a Monday morning. Just get this image in your head. This is Monday morning. This is Sunday morning. 
There's a reason why it's so easy for you to get to church on Sunday, and that isn't a good thing. So when you're traveling here and you're like, wow, this is nice, no traffic, remind yourself the reason it's nice is because there are people who are not headed to church. So again, just to get this in your head, this is Monday morning, this is Sunday morning. And the reason that we plant churches is because we think that image is a problem. We think there are people who are lost, who need to know the name of Jesus, and there are people in your neighborhoods, in your office, people who are in your realm of, of, of relational capital, and the best way to reach them is you talking about the gospel, being fluent in the gospel right where you are. So there's opportunity. Here's the second thing. This text tells us that there is some growth that happens. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So here's what happens. This church is growing. It's growing numerically. It's not all about numbers, but healthy things grow. The church grows. They, they gain in their reputation, in their name, not to their credit, but God's doing stuff in their midst. And as a result, Barnabas is sent from that church in order to see what it is that God is doing. And one of the things that we're asking the Lord is to take this plan of reaching our world, deepening our discipleship, developing our leaders, and maximizing our resources, and saying, God, would you use this as a platform to grow people deeper, to make your name known, and for us to help other churches and individual believers grow in the grace of the Lord? Could you, God, could you use this in order to help maximize the grace that you want to pour out. So 10 years ago, for instance, we started things called Kids Church down in Brookside. And over 10 years, we've seen a beautiful story of redemption and renewal. Every year, Dale hosts pastors from other cities looking at what God is doing in Brookside, trying to figure out how can we replicate this model in some way. And in fact, there's two major conferences, national conferences coming to Indianapolis in the next two years, and they're so interested in what's happening in Brookside, they want to platform that ministry so others can see it, and also to help increase money flowing to the ministries that are happening in Brookside. I mean, like 8,000 leaders that are going to be in Indianapolis in April, and they're going to hear what God's doing in, the, in, in Brookside. And we're seeing the city and that region being transformed as people move in, as jobs are started, as churches are planted. And part of the reason why we give away 40% of everything that comes into our church to external ministries is because we think that the success of this church is not just determined by what happens here in the box at 96th in town, but also what happens as we deploy resources outside of our church through people, through ministries that are making a difference beyond just what happens here. We talk about maximizing our resources. Last year we had over a million hits at our church website from 192 countries. 137,000 different people who made their way to our website. We have a dream of being a, a church that can be a resource for future church leaders to be able to be a resource even to serve our surrounding neighborhoods. And we're trying to think through how do we use the ministry center more effectively for students or maybe even to serve our community. Verse 21, the hand of the Lord was on them. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. And then look at verse 23. 
When Barnabas came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So Barnabas comes. He sees what's happening in this church, and he exhorts them, stay faithful. And one of the things that we got to be committed to as the Lord helps us as a church to grow and to, to increase our multiplication efforts is that we would remain steadfast and faithful all the way to the end. I told my wife last night, I want to be one of those guys that finishes like 50 plus years of ministry faithfully all the way to the end. Then notice what happens. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. So the idea is that Barnabas goes and he finds someone. He says, you got to see what's happening here. He told Paul what was happening in Antioch and brought him in order to see the work that God was doing. And I want to remind you that the best way to help other people grow is for you to invite them to come with you. To be regularly thinking, who should come with me to my church, or who should come with me to this Bible study? Jake mentioned the Discover event. We're trying to make it easy for people to move from a first-time visitor to a member, and usually what happens when I ask people why they've come is because somebody in our church invited them. Last year we had, our, last week rather, we had our largest Discover event ever, and over the last year we've had over 400 people go through that process, 300 who completed membership in this last year. We're trying to ask ourselves, how can we continue as a large church to connect people relationally to one another? Our elders are asking the same questions. You need to know our elders are committed to both governance, solid, accountable governance, but also biblical shepherding connecting with people individually, and we've divided up our congregation into various parishes in order so that we can really care for the church, care for the flock of God. What happens is Barnabas and Paul spend a year there. If you were to go to Acts chapter 13, you'd find something else that happens. After a year there of teaching and discipling and raising up leaders and developing uh, the next generation, God puts his hand on Barnabas and Saul and they're sent out of the church. Now imagine what that would have been like. Barnabas was a key leader at Jerusalem. He landed in Antioch. Paul was a, a profound teacher of the word. No doubt this church was growing because of their influence, and God appoints these two men to go and now to plant other churches. That was a costly moment, a costly moment. And yet if we're going to be the kind of church that is going to multiply the gospel effort, we're going to have to uncurl our fingers from holding on to one another. Our pastoral residency makes us do that all the time. There's two guys that are dear to my heart. Luke Humphrey, Dan Weller, we're both residents. Luke and Laura raised their support through our church and are now planting a church in the Middle East. And Dan and Emily Weller serve and at Chapelwood Baptist Church on the west side. That picture is of their newest little daughter, Nora, who was just adopted um, just this, this, this last week. Dan took over the leadership of Chapelwood Baptist Church. We sent a few people to that uh, church, and Luke is doing a great job planting in um, the Middle East. Both of these men were a part of our residency. We poured into them. They poured into us, and it is hard when they leave. It is. And yet it's right let me give you another example. The chairman of elders last year was Eric Edgel. Eric was the guy who called me. He was the chairman of the search committee. Uh, 
September 11th, 2007, my phone rang and it was Eric Edgel asking me if I'd consider looking at a packet from College Park Church. He then became the chairman of our HR committee, then the chairman of our elders for five years. And after going on the civil rights trip with me, he felt a calling in his heart to join One Fellowship Church. And I will never forget the moment when he called me on the phone and he said, Mark, I want you to know that I just met with TC and Andrew and I have been praying about this. And I knew it was coming. I was kind of praying against it, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, TC and I were having a prayer battle going on. And he called me and he said, hey, I want you to know that I just signed that one-year commitment card with TC. And I said, I thought you would. And he said, and I also want you to know, and he said this with a shaky voice, if I sign the card, we're probably going to stay. And in that moment, your commitment to multiplication really matters. It's like sending kids off to school, sending them off out of the house. You know it's right, but there's something in your heart that's like, oh, this is hard, and yet there's a bigger vision that's in place. And part of what it means for us to develop our leaders is to ask ourselves the question, how can we deploy more leaders, pour into both men and women who then can go and make a difference in churches around our city? Our goal is not just to grow numerically, but it is to increase the gospel in our city, around the world, and in Brookside by multiplying, and that involves these four key areas. We want to reach our world, we want to figure out how to deepen our discipleship in small groups and Adult Bible, uh, adult big groups, and in women's Bible study, how do we develop our leaders? How do we maximize our resources? The final thing in this text that I want you to see is in verse 26, the latter part. It says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So I want you to know, in order for all this to happen, there needs to be a vibrant, healthy community in the context of what it means for us to be the church. That this church isn't just a place that you come to, but it's a place that you really belong, that you, you know one another and love one another. In fact, you love one another to such an extent that people in the world would look at your love for each other, for, for all of us, and they might wonder, how does that work? You need to know that the city of Antioch, when it was built, had a wall in it dividing one section of the city from another because the city was a convergence of two different ethnic groups that didn't get along. So the, the city by design was segregated. And then as it grew, more and more different peoples and ethnicities joined the city and this metropolitan area with lots of people from all different places, the city was divided up into 18 different subsections or 18 different tribes. The church is planted there, and remember what we heard, that first the gospel was preached just to Jews, and then it was preached to the Hellenists? We kind of read that like, well, yeah, what's that? That was a big deal, and this church was the epicenter of the spread of the gospel to Jews and Gentiles. In fact, in Antioch, that's the place where Peter came and visited because he couldn't believe what he'd heard about the kind of fellowship that was happening there. And it's in Antioch that the leaders from Jerusalem come and Peter shifts the tables around because he's nervous about Jews and Gentiles eating together in light of these brothers who are coming from Jerusalem. And in Acts or in Galatians chapter 2, this is the place where Paul gets in the grill of Peter and he says, how dare you? The gospel has changed this. 
And he gets after him about Peter's failure to understand a clear implication of the gospel. And Paul records that. And he doesn't record it by accident. He records it because of its critical importance. So here is this community of people. They're not Jewish. They're not Gentile. What are they? In fact, the city doesn't have a name for these kind of people. What do we call these people? How about Christians? How about Christians? If that is right, and I think it is, then that changes how we see the importance of community in the body of Christ. That the church from its very essence had a gospel identity that got underneath all other categorical societal categories such that the world looked at the church and said, how in the world does that work? And the vision for our church, friends, is that we would be that kind of place. The kind of place where people love one another and care for each other across ethnic and socioeconomic and life experience backgrounds that we could see the gospel get underneath such that we have a new identity. And then notice what happens finally in this community, verse 29, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So it wasn't that they were like, just throwing the Jerusalem saints under the bus, like, yeah, that was last year's ministry, or that was so Old Testament. That was so whatever, choose your date in the past. No, when, when that church was in trouble and when they had financial need, the, the church at Antioch, where the gospel was taking on new shape, they released their own resources to try and go back to help the church that was struggling in Jerusalem and deploying their people to go forward to reach those who had never heard the gospel. And the church was in the middle of doing both. They were caring for established churches and reaching out to plant new churches. And they did so by deploying people, but also by deploying their resources. So when I think about multiplication, there's another piece of it, and we'll look at it next week, which is what it means to live generously. Live generously with people, with programs, with our time, and also with our money. Because multiplication happens as God's people know where they're headed, know what their story is, but also know how to use their resources effectively. So here's the question that I want you answering this morning. What's your Antioch moment? In what way could you help us to reach our world, to deepen our discipleship, to develop our leaders, and to maximize our resources? We need you to be able to accomplish this vision. This is a a programmatic vision. It's a gospel-centered Antioch vision of what it means for us to multiply the gospel in our city. What opportunities are in front of you? Where do you sense the Lord leading you? What areas of growth in your life are needed in 2019? Where do you need to develop a gospel-centered culture of grace as it relates to your engagement in other people's lives? You see, at the end of the day, multiplying the gospel can be led by our church, but it, only, but it only can be accomplished through you. As you say, I need to be a part of the spread of the gospel around the world, in the city, in my neighborhood, and in the people whose lives that I'm impacting.
antioxymodal. And we have some markers of where we believe the Lord is leading us. Let's pray together. God, we want your spirit to guide and to lead us because we know, like the psalmist said, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the battle belongs to you. And so our best laid plans mean nothing unless you blow upon them. Thank you that you can use suffering and difficulty in our lives individually and as a church in order to create avenues for future ministry. We pray, God, you'd give us grace to know what our role is in reaching people so that they might know the glorious truths of the gospel. God, we want more people to know you. We want more people to turn to you, more people who are growing in grace, more churches that are healthy and vibrant. And so, Lord, we pray you keep us humble, keep us hungry for what it is that you want, and make us the kind of people who are holy in our pursuits. So, Lord, we love you, and we're thankful that we get to be the church together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.